This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. With that, I welcome you into what will be a very educational and engaging edition of Equip. You know, today we honor and reflect on the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in light of that, today what I would love for us to do is to talk about racial unity within the church among the people of God. Now, let's be honest, over the past uh, decade or so, the headlines have been dominated by negative news, highlighting what's gone wrong. But what many have missed is the awakening that has occurred among many leaders and lay people alike who have a deep desire to reflect the multi-ethnic unity seen in Scripture. Today, what I would love to do is to expose you to one of the resources that I believe God is using to provide a biblical, theological, and practical framework for experiencing the ethnic oneness in Christ that uh, Scripture longs for us to have in a time when our culture is yearning for an answer to the gridlock of racial disunity. Uh, The resource is simply entitled Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. I want to say that again, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. It's a biblical theology of the people of God. If you've not secured your copy, I would highly recommend you do. The author is Dr. Jarvis J. Williams. He's an associate professor of New Testament interpretation at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary there in the heart of Louisville, Kentucky, where the beards are thick and the theology is strong. He is also the author of numerous books, including Whom Did Christ Die? Um, and also for whom did Christ die, rather, and also Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has written this book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, and I believe it's a gift to the body of Christ. Jarvis, how are you, brother? Doing well, brother. How are you doing? Good to be I, with you. I am doing well, surviving winter in Michigan, and I mm. think that that makes uh, us about 28% tougher than the rest of the country. So I won't, I won't <laughs> complain. I won't complain. But it is good to have you on. I have actually uh, been eager to have this conversation. Before we get into the book and uh, kind of the origin story there, talk a little bit about your area of passion and work at Southern Baptist. Yeah, I uh, have a twofold uh, role. I, I'm on the one hand, I'm a professor here at Southern Seminary. I teach New Testament, and uh, most of the courses I teach relate to uh, New Testament interpretation of either the the Gospels as well as Acts through Revelation. At the elective level, I, I teach a Greek exegesis of Galatians at the MDiv level as well as a course on biblical hermeneutics, and at the PhD level. 
I teach uh, courses on Paul's theology, course, courses on Paul's understanding of salvation, and also a course on early Judaism and the New Testament. And so my research focuses primarily on how we should think about and understand Paul's understanding of salvation in his Second Temple Jewish context. Mm. At the local church level, I serve as a as a as a preaching pastor at my church. I'm a I'm a pastor, and I um, I love the local church. I serve the lo- serve the local church, so I'm a preaching pastor there. I uh, sojourn Midtown here in Louisville. And my role there has also been a role where I've, I've led discipleship groups as as well as uh, leading uh, community groups um, along with my with my with my wife. So a full plate. Well, and that's a blessing that you are not only um, a theologian, but but in the local church, you know, so often I, I think that should be required, by the way. So often mm-hmm. you find, unfortunately, those who are doing scholarly work, not always grounded in the day-to-day uh, realities of living it out. I, I, I think of the local church as the lab, if you will, uh, through which our theology has to be fleshed out, flesh and bones. And I love the fact that, yes, you have given us a biblical theology, but I don't want people to be overwhelmed by that to the point where they think, oh, this is impractical or not relatable. Uh, you write you write with a pastor's pen, and I say that uh, to commend you. Uh, every book, brother, has an origin story. What is the origin story of redemptive kingdom diversity? That's a great question. I think there are there are many reasons why I thought about writing the book, but I think the fundamental one is is because as a New Testament scholar, I wanted to make a contribution where I would help Christians, or at least try to help Christians, ground the conversation regarding uh, race and ethnicity in the, the biblical story. And particularly, I wanted to to write a book where I showed that, that God's vision, God's plan from the very foundation of the world was to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people, and, and nation. And that it's always been God's vision to, to unify all people uh, who believe in Christ, as well as to restore the entire creation, to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. And then from that uh, particular analysis in the biblical text, I wanted then to to give some practical applications for the contemporary conversation. I think, as you know, there are a lot of uh, books, a lot of uh, of commentary on the current moment. But I think one of the things that is often lacking is a robust biblical and theological reflection of these these issues. And so I wanted to speak practically, but I also wanted to ground that practical exhortation into the biblical story of redemption. So I thought the best way to do that was to to try to write a biblical theology that that was succinct and and um, and accessible for as many Christian um, uh, brothers and sisters as possible. You know, I want to define some terms in just a moment. But if I were to translate what you said for the person who maybe is uh, new to the Christian faith or or maybe uh, new even to the Bible and theology. Uh, first off, no shame in that. I love the fact that there are folks who, for the first time this year, are picking up their Bibles and saying, I want to read through it. I want to engage Scripture. Mm-hmm. I just want to commend you if you're one of those good folks or just thinking about things through the lens of uh, what does the Bible say about this? Uh, that's that's great. That's uh, that's awesome. But I do want you to know that in a nutshell, the way I would interpret what 
uh, Jarvis Williams just said is that, hey, we all acknowledge that something is wrong in mm. this fallen world, in particular uh, be- between the ethnic groups of this world. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of different ways to approach how to address that. And many people, far too many, are pulling on secular resources to address it. Um, and what my brother has provided us is a biblical framework that walks you through Scripture to answer the question, what has God's plan been? And what does Scripture have to say about who we are to be as the people of God? And then he's also made it very practical by asking the question, how then do we live that out, right? Like, mm. what does that look like lived out? At least that's the way I've encountered your book. And uh, I'm I'm super grateful for it. You know, I want to, for a moment, uh, Dr. Williams, just pause because we got a lot of ground to cover with the book, but maybe I should have started this way as you reflect on this day and the life legacy ministry of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a Christian leader who also was a civil rights leader who saw his love for Christ as compelling him to live a sacrificial life in a um, quest to help the world to see and embrace the Imago Day of all people. Um, what is his, not only just social impact on your life, but, but what has been your perspective of his theological impact on you and on the body? Hmm. That's a great, that's a great question. I mean, I'd be the first to say that I'm not a I'm not a King scholar, but when I think about his impact um, on society, and I think more specifically about the way in which he's impacted me at a at a theological level, I suppose I, I would say that he he reminds us, I think, that theology is practical. I think he reminds us that theology is is not simply abstract um, ideas that are detached from normal rhythms of life, but, but what what a person thinks about the gospel, about God's salvation, is has massive uh, implications for how we live in this world, loving God and loving neighbor yes. as ourselves. Yes. I, I think also I would say, I just think at a, at a personal level, how the sacrifices that he and, and others in the civil rights, uh, rights movement made, uh, how how those sacrifices have opened up tremendous doors for people like me, people like you. I mean, I, yes. I'm an African-American New Testament scholar at a Southern Baptist institution. That's a powerful mm-hmm. statement, I think, to make. And I think in God's sovereignty and in his in his uh, in his kindness, he used people who spoke up and said um, racism is evil and and it's wrong, and so I, I benefit and the nation benefits, but but people like myself benefit from those sacrifices that were made, and I I don't want to take take those sacrifices yes. for granted on a day like this. I mean, obviously there's much more progress that that can be made, but there's such there there is we have come such a long way, and I I'm thankful for for how God has has worked in the lives of ordinary people uh, to to give us opportunities as a society to see 
um, opportunities for those, regardless of what the color of their skin uh, is. Yeah, I'm so grateful for your words and your thoughts there. You know, if I could, for just a moment before we go to our first break, just uh, say that Dr. King's theological impact on me, because I, I I could talk about his social impact. I could talk about his impact as a leader. I could talk about his his ethical and philosophical impact. But just looking at theology, one of the things that I think I've come to appreciate is the fact that they are classically, for those of you who have studied theology, are, are, are categories of what we would call systematic theology, um, areas like theology proper. What does a person believe about uh, God, in particular God the Father? Uh, bibliology, what does, the, what does a person believe about the Bible? What does the Bible teach about itself? And what does the church believe? Uh, Christology, what does a person believe about Christ? Ecclesiology, end times, right? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, ecclesiology, the, ch- the church, eschatology, end times, soteriology, salvation. And when we think about what heresy has been defined as, one of the areas that it seems that the church maybe has not taken seriously enough has been anthropology. Mm. Uh, As we Mm. think about what we have labeled orthodoxy or heresy, which we should take seriously, it seems like we have said if a person errs in what they believe about these other categories, uh, intentionally, grossly, they are a heretic. If you don't get Christology right, if you don't get bibliology right, if you don't get soteriology right. But it seems like anthropology is one area historically where a person could grossly err but get a pass as long as these other areas were okay. Um, And I think that what Dr. King and others have helped me to realize is, no, you have to also get anthropology right. You have to also have a scriptural, biblical anthropology if you're going to be uh, in line with orthodoxy. You know, I think about Galatians chapter 2 and um, Paul confronting Peter to his face uh, over his hypocrisy. Uh, But he says these words. He says, but when I saw, this is verse 14 of Galatians 2, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, what Paul is saying is that there, there is obviously theological and doctrinal heresy. But there's also behavioral heresy. And uh, this not keeping in step with the gospel is something that I think we need to take seriously as well. So uh, with that said, I, I commend you others and are grateful for the continued theological legacy of men like Dr. King. Today we honor his life and legacy, but we also uh, look at the word of God to say what has been God's plan for his people to reflect racial and ethnic unity to a fallen world. We'll be right back with more with Dr. Jarvis Williams after this. 
We want to equip you to read and understand the Bible from cover to cover, because the better we know God's Word, the closer we'll walk with Him, and the better we can share His truth with others. This month, I have a resource for you that will help you to do just that. It's called 52 Weeks in the Word by Bible teacher Trillian Newton, and it's yours with the support gift to equip this month. Simply call 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks on this special day. Uh, I am grateful to have Dr. Jarvis Williams with us today. He's the author of a book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, a Biblical Theology of the People of God. Uh, Dr. Williams, define for those who may not know the term biblical theology, or at least explain how that plays itself out in the construct of the book. That's a great question. I think how I'm using the phrase biblical theology is is really simple. I'm simply uh, talking about the Bible in the book. I'm using I'm looking at various biblical texts from Genesis to Revelation to develop this this theme that I see, not the theme, but but a theme that I see, namely the people of God, to show how the diff- different texts in the Old Testament, and New Testament, define the people of God and talk about the people of God. So the texts are biblical texts, and then theology. Uh, I simply mean I'm making some theological reflections on those texts, and the theology is coming out of the actual Bible texts themselves. So one quick example would be, one of the things I say in the book is, is that God has chosen to redeem some from every tongue, tribes, and peoples, and nations um, in Christ Jesus. By Jesus' wrath, his death on the cross for our sins, he died to absorb God's wrath for us, and God raised him from the dead, that God in Christ, by his cross and resurrection, has has redeemed some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So that's a theological statement that I'm getting from numerous texts, but one particular text would be Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 Intent. So simply, I just mean biblical theology is what what the biblical text says about uh, the people of God, and then uh, what theological reflections that are these texts giving us about the people of God. Yeah, I, I love that, and 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 what you're doing practically is literally walking us through in kind of survey form the uh, the story of Scripture. Is that right? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I would say it this way, that I'm trying to be very careful not to say that the people of God is not the theme in the story of Scripture, but it is a prominent theme in the story of Scripture. So I'm trying to walk through a selection of texts. I'm being very selective, as you know, because I can't talk about everything in detail, to highlight uh, some different ways in which the Scriptures talk about the people of God from Genesis to Revelation. That's good. Now, uh, the other thing that I think is worth highlighting, and I kind of referenced it in our previous uh, segment, but it's important to unpack, and that is your book is not reactionary Mm. from the perspective of trying to uh, create or innovate some new way of thinking uh, that is foreign to Scripture. What you're trying to say, it seems to me, is that from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the people of God uh, has been God's plan for multi-ethnic 
interracial unity in Christ. Is that right? Yeah. So I would say that when we look at the biblical story, I think one thing that is extremely clear is, is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the prize of his creation was human beings, that we are those who are created in his image. And uh, male and female, he created them in the image of God. Um, he created them. And that we see this this idea, I think, as Scripture progresses in chapter 3, for example, verse 15, that uh, when when sin entered creation, God gives a promise of hope in Genesis 3.15, and that promise of hope is, I'm going to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And I think that's a reference to God is going to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to resurrect from the dead in order to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden, uh, that's, which would be the relationship with God is broken, relationship uh, with human beings is broken, and creation itself is cursed. And God crush, crushes the serpent, which I think is the devil, based on what you see in Revelation 12, through Jesus' perfect life, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so God's vision to bring about this redemption is a vision that includes creation, but also includes different skin colors, different ethnicities, different different dialects scattered throughout the world so that they would be unified in Christ while maintaining still their ethnic distinctions. Their ethnicities are not erased, yes. but they're transformed in Christ so that there are tongues and tribes and peoples and nations who are in Christ Jesus. But the most transcendent identity that we have is who we are in Jesus. Jesus, but we still maintain our different tongues and tribes and and peoples and nation uh, nation yes. um, uh, identities as well. And one of the ways you can describe that tongues and tribes and peoples and kindreds and nations is dialects, geography, customs, yes. those types of things. And, and this leads me to another very important uh, distinction that we need to make here is so often we speak in maybe in precise ways, um, reflecting a kind of some cultural assumptions, but it's important at, at other times that we be precise. I don't want to, I don't want to hear this conversation to hear me conflating race and ethnicity. Yes. As a matter of fact, they are different. And I want to give you an opportunity to explain the distinction and I also want to give you the opportunity to explain what you mean by your statement, the, the construction of race is a biological fiction. Um, explain the difference, if you will, between race and ethnicity and why you deem race as a fiction. Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. Well, I try to keep this very, very simple. I think when we look at the Bible— particularly when we look at the Genesis narrative in chapters 1 and 2, God uh, tells us very plainly that he created human beings. So what the Bible knows of is a human race, that is, um, male and female. There are human beings created in his image. What the Bible does not speak of is a superior or inferior group of people within the human race. So when we talk about race in our contemporary sort of conversation, we we are using a category that was a as as many have said is a social construct or a fiction uh, and by which by which they mean that that 
these this idea of race was based on things that weren't biologically uh, real or established. They were based on perceptions. They were based on ideas sure. that were imposed upon the one human race, namely human beings. When you look at Genesis, you see that God creates human beings, male and female. And then we look at the other texts and, and throughout the Bible, you see that these human beings have what we would say different ethnicities. They are from different geographic locations. They have a different dialects on and so forth. So when we talk about ethnicity, that category is not connected to issues related to skin color uh, or or sort of biological uh, uh, perceptions. So you can have someone who is from the same ethnic group, but have different shades of skin. Uh, and you can have someone from a different ethnic group who who may have different shades of skin. But you can have someone from the same ethnic group who can have different shades of skin as well. So ethnicity is not based upon skin color issues, but the category of race, which is really a, a, a sort of a, a, a modern category created roughly 1600s in, in the colonial context, that's sort of a new thing. And that is nowhere found in the Bible. The Bible knows of the human race, and, and within the human race, we have different tongues and tr- tribes and peoples and, and nations. You know, that's so, so powerful and, and so good because I think that um, so often because we don't understand the distinction there, we do com- run a danger of conflating the two. And, uh, and, and as you say in your book, though both are social constructs, um, one is based off of non-biological factors, a fiction, mm. race. The other, ethnicity, is based off of realities of customs, dialect, geography, and so much more. I want to unpack this, and I also want to a- ask the question on the other side of this break, Dr. Williams. What about colorblindness? Is that a good thing? We're going to unpack that and so much more. What a joy it is to have Dr. Jarvis Williams with us today on Equip. Once you get a copy of Redemptive Think Kingdom Diversity at EquipRadio.org. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. I want to say thank you for your love, your support, your prayerful and financial partnership with this ministry. It's not a day that goes by that I'm not reminded that we are here because of God's grace and because of your generosity. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. If the program has been a blessing and encouragement to you, can you consider standing with us to find out more about partnering with us uh, so that we can continue to spread the message of the good news of Jesus in your community, can you dial 888-644-4144? That's 888-644-4144. I love the fact that today we get a chance to talk about uh, this wonderful book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. And there's a poem uh, that I came across, Dr. Williams, that uh, was a part of the promotion of uh, this particular book. And I would love to let uh, those who are listening to us experience now that helps to uh, maybe creatively explain the theme and the focus of this awesome book. Listen to this. Consider the perspective of the creator. 
before his work on the world began. He set his heart on an ethnically diverse people. Through them, his glory would fill the land. To restore diverse humanity's relationship to himself. To restore diverse humanity's relationship with one another. To redeem the entire creation through Jesus, blessing the world, establishing a kingdom with a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, from Israel and beyond, from different backgrounds and cultures, to be a family as one. See, God, he made a people from many peoples, a royal priesthood, a light to the world dispersed through unity's prism, and not one of them he'd chosen would be lost. So from the edges of the earth, both Jews and Gentiles are united at the cross to be God's people by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and to, by his spirit, experience and pursue God's plan for redemptive kingdom diversity. I love that. Big shout out to uh, spoken word artist Jason Stevens. Talk a little bit about that, Jarvis. Yeah, the poem it nicely outlines the the vision I'm trying to put forward in the book is that God beautifully created this 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 diverse people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And in Christ Jesus, he has, has redeemed us by Jesus' blood. I mean, it's powerful if you think about the power of the gospel that this Jewish Messiah comes uh, to this world. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on human flesh, took on Jewish flesh, flesh in the incarnation, and he died on the cross to redeem uh, Jews and Gentiles by faith in him. And he makes Jews and Gentiles brothers and sisters in Christ, and that that our kinship in Jesus by the power of the Spirit is is transcendent when compared to our uh, physical kinships that we have in life. As important as those are, I will spend eternity with my brothers and sisters yes. in in Jesus, and and. Uh, in the here and now, in this present evil age, I'm able to live in the pursuit of love with the diverse people of God as as a manifestation, as a symbol of that future hope that we are awaiting at the end of the age, as it's broken in right now by the power of the Spirit. And we see that as we love each other, as Christ following Jews and Gentiles in both the church and in society. And that is, to me, that is a profound apologetic for the gospel as well as it that that shames the devil i mean i think yes. Ephesians 3 hints at that yes. when it talks about proclaiming these inexpressible riches of christ uh to the principalities and powers of the air throughout the ages uh, it's yes. beautiful and, and 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 what that also helps us to understand and gives us uh, maybe trained ears to listen for is anything that opposes that mm-hmm. uh that that uh that thought that uh, posits, if you will, the message of racial or ethnic superiority or mm. inferiority. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we need to have ears that are actively listening for those uh, false messages because, mm. uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm ever mindful of uh, the, the famous C.S. Lewis quote that Satan sends lies in pairs hoping mm. that our hatred for the one will drive us to the other. And mm. so uh, the reality is, is that we need to make sure we're listening uh, very well with uh, the lens through which we see the world being, being the scripture. But we need more mm. than just information. We need more. I, I wish it was just the knowledge of what you've stated in this that was enough. But I, I think we also need models. And I want to talk about a special person to you for just a moment. 
you've written numerous books and articles, um, in particular on the New Testament, um, and popular level books like uh, like the one that I hold in some so many ways. Um, but this one you decided to dedicate to your beloved auntie. Hmm. What is it about her and her life that you felt compelled to ascribe appreciation to, in particular, in light of redemptive kingdom diversity? Hmm. Thank you for asking that. I tell you, just bringing up her name makes me a little emotional. You know, my my auntie was a very simple woman. She um, she never married, and um, when I was a, a a little baby, she took it upon herself as well as some other relatives to to step into a very difficult situation and to sacrificially love me. And she raised me as as if I were her, her own, mm. her very own child. She, uh, my family is a is a ethnically diverse family. We have African American as well as European and and other ethnicities in our family, and and so she um, represents all of that that beautiful uh, diverse creativity that God demonstrates when He created uh, humanity. And and one of the things that she did for me that that personified for me the kind of sacrificial love that I think Jesus is calling us to is she she self selflessly loved me and so many others in ways that were um just admirable. I mean again she raised me as though I was her very own child. I remember growing up we had relatives who who were homeless and she would take them in and, and help them get on their feet and, and not uh, uh not create space for them to mm. to avoid personal responsibility, but give them a space where they can pursue personal responsibility while they're trying to get on their feet. Yes. And she just left a legacy of love. And, and most importantly, brother, she gave her life to Jesus Christ about six weeks before she died. I prayed for her <laughs> for 20 years, witnessed to her, and in the final weeks of her life, she uh, she gave her life to Christ, and she she was um, confident in her salvation, yes. and the Lord was able to reveal to me that it was real, and and then she passed away, and I preached her funeral. But her her selfless love that she modeled was a was a picture, uh, a an imperfect picture, but a picture nevertheless of the kind of sacrificial love to which Jesus calls his people, and mm. and and to which he. Uh, he gave himself for us to be his people in the cross and the resurrection. You know, in many ways, we we could say without being wrong at all that it was Christ loving you through her. And, mm. uh, and, and in many ways, uh, just as he does in all of our lives, using her in redemptive ways beyond even her own awareness to give mm. you a model of uh, what this theology looks like lived out. You know, one of the coolest things that our family has experienced uh, recently is uh, we have three kids through adoption, uh, three biological, uh, five Mm -hmm. at home, one in heaven. And uh, we decided we were going to do one of those Ancestry.com kits, you know, uh, where it brings you your ethnic heritage. And one of my sons, my oldest son, is is multiracial. And uh, it was interesting hearing you describe how all of the diversity of your family was in your eye because my sons came back and I think it was 
percentages are right. Like 40% of his uh, ethnic heritage is English. 20% mm. is Nigerian, has some Ashkenazi Jew, some Native American. It was even a little bit of Japanese. It was all in there. And, wow. uh, and and I thought it was beautiful. But it made me think of the popular thought of colorblindness. And I'm mm. sympathetic because I do understand that in its most sincere form, it is the desire for people to see Jarvis as Jarvis, not Jarvis mm-hmm. as uh, through his, the lens of his skin, but Jarvis mm-hmm. is just a, a brother in Christ, or Chris is just a brother in Christ. What is good about that, and what causes you pause for us to make sure that we don't miss the gospel? Yeah, amen. Well, I think certainly we would all agree that we should judge people, uh, to quote here, Dr. King, um, uh, to judge people based on the content of their character and not on the color of their skin. We, we, we should all desire to do that and long for that. And I think it is good and right for us to, to treat people as human beings and not to make um, assessments of them based on this biological fiction, namely this racial sort of construct but to make assessments of people based on the the quality of their of their work of uh the quality of their character so on and so forth so i think those are good things i think i think those who would be uh, more inclined toward this idea of colorblindness they they want something i want something that is that is good and 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 right i i think however the reality is is that we live in a society where decisions have been made because of the color of, of, of people's skin. Right, right. I mean, just take Dr. King, for example. Let's just sit him in his social context. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a King scholar by any stretch of the imagination. But he did make that statement in a context where yes, people yes. were evaluating people yes. uh, wrongly based on the color of their skin. So yes. what what I want to say is absolutely I want to be judged based on my merit, based on the quality of my work, based on my uh, based on um things that are good and right and and based on not something that has been projected upon me by a by a by an idea um such as such as race but the reality is we we had we had a civil rights movement for example we had we had slavery we had these sure. issues that caused people to think and perceive of groups of people in certain ways and certainly we have made so much progress. Praise the Lord for that progress. But if we're born into, I would just, I'm a, I'm, I'm a United States citizen, so I just say, if we're born in the United States, we are all born into a situation that has a certain history. Yes. And, and that history, we're not, we didn't create that history, but we're, we're part of that history. And so, so then that requires us to be able to engage reality, to, to aspire and hope for something redemptive and to work toward that. And also, also, to you know, if I could just jump in for one moment and say that also gives us a basis for as, as we pray to know how we need to repent, not just for ourselves, but if mm-hmm. I'm reading Nehemiah correctly, in particular Nehemiah chapter one, it is well within my 
responsibility to also pray prayers of repentance for the people uh, through which I am connected, you know, of which mm. I am connected. And so as I'm praying, I'm praying not just for Chris, but as many of my listeners uh, are, I'm praying for our nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm praying certainly for the church in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, this, this is, this is all part and parcel with being a part of a community as well. We, we're up yeah. against a break, but I do want to say, um, as much as it may be tempting, we can't rip Genesis chapter 3 out of the pages of Scripture. Um, yes. it, it is a part of the story, but praise God, it is not the final chapter of the story. Uh, so much more we're going to learn from Dr. Williams. we got to take our final break, but these breaks are designed for you to order the book. Go to EquipRadio.org. This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. It has been such a joy to have Dr. Jarvis Williams with me today talking about his book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. I would encourage you to pick it up. It will stretch you. Uh, Honestly, it it will help you to maybe be introduced to theology. If you've not been introduced, which I think is a really, really good thing, Uh, it is a powerful, powerful resource for giving us practical steps as well. Um, I think, Jarvis, that one of the uh, mistakes people make about theologians is to assume that you have so um, traversed the terrain of Scripture that nothing surprises you anymore. Uh, Were there any surprises that you experienced when undertaking this project and taking a deep dive into Scripture? Anything that surprised you? Well, I tell you, one one of the things that um, maybe I wouldn't say surprise, but that was reinforced to me was the the importance of trying to speak with clarity and precision when we're engaging any biblical text, but especially when we're engaging issues that uh, that deeply impact people at a very practical level. I think in the conversation related to race and ethnicity, uh, particularly, I, I was reminded how it's so helpful and necessary to define our categories, to define what we are saying, to define what we're not saying, and and not to unnecessarily uh, use language that in a in a in a sloppy way that can can uh, unintentionally hurt someone that that you're trying to help yes, yes. Um, and and um, and I was just reminded of the importance so of that good. as I sat in the biblical story and just try to let the scriptures sort of speak into to my life and yes. help me think through how to articulate a redemptive vision you know I'm so glad you said that and, and I just want to uh, just affirm what you just said while also offering a caution. We live in a soundbite world. There's no mm. way around that. 
We also live in a culture that has decided and maybe in a quest for efficiency to 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 uh really build entire views of people off of buzzwords. Yes. And uh and, and unfortunately you're a victim of that, I'm a victim of that, we all are in the prison of that reality within mm. our culture trying to be liberated from it. But I would simply say that uh speaking with precision is one side of the coin. Giving grace is another part of that. And, yes. and doing the hard work of getting to know people beyond mm. just a mm. buzzword here or there mm. is a mm. caution that I want to give. It's mm. not easy. Uh, I know that it may not even seem efficient in this day and age. It certainly does not lend itself to interactions on social media. But I do mm. believe that community, Christ-centered covenant community, requires us to exercise the patience of being uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, I guess my final word for you would be a practical question. With about a minute left, what practical next step? After reading this, getting a, a sense of the framework, the biblical and theological framework, practicalize it for us, what would you recommend we do? That's a great question. Well, as you know, I have uh, about a 37-page concluding chapter where I walk through some practical uh, next steps. I think maybe uh, one practical thing to do would be simply to reflect and think about ways in which you can apply the the vision I'm trying to outline to your own specific context. I've tried to make it clear in the book that I don't have a one-size-fits-all plan. I'm not saying this is going to apply the same way in every context. And furthermore, I'm not saying that every church can be, should be, or will be multi-ethnic. You could have a redemptive kingdom diversity vision, even if you're in a social situation where your congregation can't be multi-ethnic. So I think one of the most practical things to do would be uh, read that practical chapter and then think about your own particular church context, community, and think of ways that, that you could apply this where you're situated. And I think that's where it starts. It starts at the personal level in the real world, on the ground with real people. I love that. And this is where the local church comes into mind. Um, mm. We need to have our feet firmly planted in the context of the local church. And so in many ways, this conversation comes full circle. Jarvis Williams is not just a theologian, though he is that. Uh, he is also um, uh, a churchman. He is deeply committed to the body of believers. And if you're disconnected from the body, I would venture to say that you, you're not living in the context where this can become real to you and it be, you become a victim or at least vulnerable to being culturally captive. Read the book, get in the church, live it out to the glory of God. Jarvis, Amen. thank you for being a gift to the body, and thanks for the book. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Friends, I can't wait till we're together again next time. Until then, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends. Chris Brooks here. You know, as a parent, I recognize that today's teenagers often feel overwhelmed by the need to have life all figured out. But what do they really need to know? Youth expert Kara Powell will help us to discuss her survey of thousands of teens and the questions they're asking on the next edition of Equip.
Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or EquipRadio.org.